Hello everyone, welcome to Pensive Politics with Mr. Watson. I am indeed your host, Christian Watson, and today I am with someone very special, someone who I've been admiring for a good part of the last decade, someone who, since I was 12 or 11, it marks my 20th birthday today, I have been reading his stuff, I've been watching his stuff, uh, Mr. Adam Takesh, who is a libertarian presidential candidate, author, talk show host, all kind, all manner of things, but I think are quite enlightening. How are you doing, Adam? Hey, thank you so much for having me on, Christian, and happy birthday, and, and for the honor of joining you on Today of All Days. Absolutely, absolutely. It's nothing short of an honor, my friend. So there are a lot of questions I could ask you, but I think the most interesting question that you probably don't get asked a lot, especially as it relates to your presidential candidacy, is how much have you grown? Like, take me to the journey between Adam versus the man, which was on Russia Today uh, about a decade or so ago, to how you are right now. Take me through your freedom journey. How have you developed as a speaker, as an activist, as an advocate for liberty throughout the past decade or so? What's changed for you? Well, I'd like to start by saying who I am is of little consequence compared to why <laughs> I am here. Uh, and so I'll, I'll, I, I do want to take the time to fully answer your question and indulge you on that, Christian. But uh, there, there are two things that you mentioned in there that I, I want to share first in, in terms of practical takeaways, and maybe people will get these out of my story anyway, which is when people ask, you know, how did you become an accomplished presenter, public speaker, communicator? And I've been, you know, I'm at a loss for words to describe the flattery I have received for my public speaking skills. And it's something that I really want to demystify for everybody in saying that it's really just a skill that anybody can pick up and get better at with practice. And for me, it was just a lot of practice built into my life over the years having done some form of student theater uh, every year as a student growing up from elementary to middle school, high school. Uh, Every year I was either the male lead or second to it with some major school production or musical, whatever. I was uh, Prince Dauntless in Once Upon a Mattress. I was Mark in a chorus line. Uh, I was Lysander before I knew who Lysander Spooner was in wow. Midsummer Night's Dream. Wow. And I've just always had that inherent stage presence, but especially even more so with the Marine Corps, where when you're a sergeant, as I was, you know, giving orders or yelling commands or leading a formation, it was just something that came naturally to me. And being able to do it in that military environment gave me a whole other realm of communication skills uh, that I would describe as command presence, being able to walk into a room and take charge and get things done. And in terms of you know being a warrior and, and being in the Marines and, and a warrior as an activist and in civil disobedience, you know you think of musical theater as like the opposite. And in, in some ways, uh, there are some obvious contradictions. You know, I did ballroom dance for one semester in college to get better at rugby. <laughs> and you know, I, I would say that in, in that back, you know, what we're talking about is communication. And communication is, is how, you know, we as human beings are able to be uniquely telepathic compared to the rest of the lesser animals out there. And communication is a, a huge part of what not only 
makes us uniquely human, but allows us to operate in the world in a society of other people and to coordinate and communicate and bring important ideas to the forefront. And it's been a big part of my background as a public speaker, as an activist, having that experience as a whole in my background in communication. So for people who want to get better at it, practice, 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 have fun, challenge yourself, give yourself feedback, Toastmasters, be patient with yourself. Uh, Toastmasters, if you, if you don't know, go to, go to one of their meetings. It's for public speaking skills. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And you know, most importantly, and the thing that I've gotten to now that really completes the skill set for me is knowing what I have to say when it comes to the message of freedom and motivating and inspiring people to make the world a better place with what we're doing as libertarians, which is asking people to simply apply ethics to politics in a consistent way. You know, libertarianism is not so much a political message as it is a message of ethics and love and respect. So the second thing I want to do before I really answer your question here is the civil disobedience bit. And people accuse me of being brave and Christian. You know, I know you're familiar with the shotgun incident and dancing at the Jefferson Monument and mm -hmm. cursing at cops when mm -hmm. it was illegal mm -hmm. in Middleborough, Massachusetts. Yeah, I remember that. And people <laughs> accuse me of being brave. And I, I want to put a finger on that, too. They accuse you. They accuse it's you. it's not accurate. It's not, that's not what makes me special. That's not what enables me or empowers me to do what I do as a civil disobedience activist because it's not, uh, there's danger, I'm scared, I'm going to be brave. No, what I have is greater confidence in my calculations when it comes to risk and reward assessment. And I can break this down very easily. Most people here, uh, you might go to jail and they cannot separate what that represents in their decision-making process from, uh, I'm going to die. Literally, <laughs> it's just, okay, now, you know, like, the, 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 we are so frightened of authority and the stigma. And th th there is a legitimate fear of every time you interact with a cop, your mortality rate goes way up, you know, and people die in jail proportionally for a lot they worse do. reasons than they do in jail. Yep. We'll just leave it at that without referencing any... Uh, particular overwhelming statistics. I think my point is clear. So the other thing is the reward on mm -hmm. the reward side of, of, of that. And it's really kind of calculating the cost of submission. Mm. Governments want us to submit. They want us to be obedient. What is the cost of obedience? Mm. And what would I rather reap as the reward for not being obedient, not just for myself, and, you know, if I'm going to suffer immediately in the risk calculation. And, you know, most arrests in civil disobedience today, at least, uh, well, it depends on, you can define and count these things a dozen different ways, but, you know, most of them are very low risk mm -hmm. when it comes to doing time. Protesting where you're not supposed to is usually a sight and release kind of offense. They, they will physically remove you from an area to shut down your protest, give you a ticket, and release you. You know, maybe take you to a, a department holding for a few hours mm -hmm. uh, until protests die down, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, even, you know, public cannabis consumption is a misdemeanor now in right. most places, thank goodness. Um, 
you know, I'm trying, trying to think of other good categorical examples here. I mean, the most important thing in civil disobedience is actually the kind of stuff that most people never see of, you know, tax evasion and barter and not reporting economic transactions and, you know, smoking pot quietly at home like a dignified adult, uh, things like that. And yeah. it, I mean, so the, when I do this whole risk-reward calculation, mm-hmm. I mean, the main thing is... is, is well, it's, I mean, it's, it's really, it's being able to quantify the risks down to something that you can weigh against the rewards and really being able to see all of the rewards in a way that most people don't. Right. So, right. to my story, to really answer your question, my mom was vaguely liberal and my dad was vaguely conservative, but they were both pretty distinctly anti-authority and really imbued a strong distrust of authority in me and and a healthy just intellectual habit of questioning everything more than even just authority itself just as as a good habit as a human being operating the world challenge your assumptions yes question your premises and discover that your worldview can always be improved and you can learn and be open to new things be humble in what you know yes never be overly confident in, in, in anything and, and, and always have that humility of questioning yourself and as a result you will more often be correct and especially now correct about coronavirus correct about government correct about just understanding you know what we're doing as a movement so uh, I was not sufficiently dissuaded by them from joining the Marines. I still fell for the general propaganda. I enlisted in the reserves so I could go to college in uh, uh, 2000. I, I did boot camp June 18. It was the day I left for boot camp and did a total of about six and a half years in, as a reservist with three years of active duty time within that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that included a tour in Fallujah in 2004. And this is why I'm so passionate about libertarianism being communicated properly as a message of ethics rather than a message of politics. Because at the time, even, I identified as a libertarian. And I got the very, uh, I mean, the, the perverted version of the message of uh, socially liberal, fiscally conservative. Right, and you know that that that's that's absolute nonsense. So libertarians are not fiscally liberal. We are not social or socially. We are socially awkward. Uh, we are not fiscally <laughs> My conservative. Goodness. We are not socially liberal. We are fiscally libertarian, and we are socially libertarian because in both of these, you know, artificially uh, segregated realms, we apply the same basic ethic principle, ethical principles. Right. Of, you, know, you own yourself mm-hmm. exactly, mm-hmm. And, and so uh, when I was in Iraq, uh, I, one day during the sea, one night rather during the siege of Fallujah, I was asked to guard detainees in a way that was uh, definitely torturing them—a violation of the Geneva Conventions—and to have joined for the right reasons and wanting to serve and wanting to help people, and even volunteered to go to Iraq for the right reasons because I thought we were cleaning up our mess. I was against the invasion. But you could say for the occupation. I hate to, it's, it's you know, gross language, but it's true. It's accurate. Right. And you know, I was I was a libertarian, but I was an arrogant militarist minarchist. 
and it took me, you know, 10 years to really get through that. And by the way, a little side note, because I know, I know this is a bit of an inside baseball conversation here. Um, I've, I've gone from being, you know, an arrogant minarchist to an arrogant anarchist before realizing that they're both wrong. It's a really dumb divide in our movement that ignores the ethical premise of our message, which is... Yeah. The non-aggression principle, self-ownership, right? And if and, and this is oversimplifying things, but you know, I've, I, I, I I I used to have a more polite way of kissing everybody's butt and expressing this to say, well, look, I've never heard a minarchist say, well, they want their government to look like this, that you can't break off and form your own voluntary government, and I've never heard an anarchist say, you can't form a voluntary government and call it that. I'm going to stop you because that's our word, you know? Like, of course not. But right. it, what that shows is that. There really is a common understanding of these ethical principles, but they're both absolutely wrong to say if an anarchist says we should have a stateless society. That, that, that's wrong. It, it, the, the, like, that's your preference, right? Or a minarchist saying, well, we should have a, a society where government only does this, this, and this. Well, that's also wrong. That's your preference. You know, the quote I like in, in expressing this comes from Larry Sharp, who says, uh, you know, libertarian is someone who believes you can be as liberal or as conservative as you want, as long as you're not forcing on anybody. Well, oh yeah, duh. Well, so we have to respect people's rights to create voluntary governments if that's yes. what they want to do. All right. You know. Yeah. And and if you're if you're a minarchist who says, well, I want a, to live in a world where government does this, well, you have to respect that some people want to live in a different world, and they might declare their independence from your system mm-hmm. and create a, a voluntary socialist commune or break yeah, off on their own property yeah. and, and say, I don't want any government system at all. Oh, and we, are you really going to? And no honest minarchist <laughs> I've ever met is going to like, no, they right. they have to be a part of my precise minarchist plan so right. it really is a, 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 a bullshit artificial oh, divine yeah. in the freedom movement all right oh mr kokesh you you th- there's a reason i think you're one of the, the more uh you're what you're one of the more uh ar- ar- articulate and passionate activist activists for liberty that's just that's just amazing um well so i i, I gotta finish i gotta finish the story if, if, oh oh sure if, if you want to really get people because that doesn't get to the end of my sure absolutely absolutely intellectual journey even although that is that that might be described as the bottom of the libertarian rabbit hole for me that that point i just made <laughs> okay there. keep going but no, yeah there, there were a few more steps in between you know coming back from iraq getting involved with iraq veterans against the war being asked by ron paul to run for congress as a republican in new mexico and having his support in that mm-hmm. then coming to realize that the you know republican party strategy was a losing one mm-hmm. uh, right, and right. you know really committing to the to the <clears> libertarian <throat> party uh, I, I did some jail time for civil disobedience. The, the longest stretch was four months for the shotgun in in 20, um, 2013. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, it was, but it, it took me 10 years really to even get to voluntarism as the main sort of bottom of the rabbit hole of, of libertarianism. And it was uh, reading Ethics of Liberty by Murray Rothbard. Rothbard, yep. Rothbard, Props yep. to mm-hmm. the, the intellectual godfather of our movement and uh, one of the primary inspirations for my book, which I started writing when I was in jail. And now I, I wrote The Ultimate Red Pill, and I hesitate to even say I because I had a lot of help 
the book is a deliberate conglomerate of the best of libertarian writing over the years, all the great books that people sent me in jail, all of the strengths, none of their weaknesses. So it's 100 pages. It's the ultimate red pill, and it's free in every digital format possible, including audiobook at thefreedomline.com. Uh-huh. Uh, all and right. now I'm homesteading, although that's, that's, that's separate. That's, yeah. Well, that's, this is my new American dreams. I'm, I'm building my homestead on undeveloped land here in the mountains of Arizona at oh. the Garden of Freedom. Oh, all right. All right. That was, that was a lot. My goodness. Um, and and I, I bet you that most folks would never have guessed that you have such a, that, such uh, a, a very extensive depth within your journey like that. Because I promise you, mo- most most people who are running for president, most people who have, who have tried to get into politics, even most people who are commentators like you like you are, don't really have the either the willingness, the ability, or any, or, or even the, uh, the the incentive to speak at such a level that penetrates the banal talking points that we have become so accustomed to within our politics, the the sort of almost spiritual, yeah. this sort of lethargic lumbering around spiritual death that our politics has inflicted upon the individual by rejecting mm. their inherent freedom. I mean, there's a bunch of things, but you and you embody, in my opinion, the antidote to that kind of thinking. So, and that same thing, let's move a little over to the uh, presidential election that's, ha- that's happening right now. You are a candidate for the Libertarian Party's nomination. I watched the debate that happened a few days ago, or a day ago or so, uh, which which happened on the day Justin Amash dropped out, unfortunately. And you were actually one of the folks that actually said Justin Amash is a good addition to the party when a lot of other folks yeah. what auto like your Hornberger and were like, oh, he's not pure enough, he's not this enough. And they completely neglected the fact that he is probably one of the most effective libertarian legislators in the history of the union uh so Mm -hmm. what do you think the libertarian party needs to do number one to win and number two what should be the guiding ethos because i understand that your position from from, or or, correct me if i'm wrong i understand that your position is the government should be dissolved on day one by executive order Something like well, it's a, little, it's, a, it's a little more specific than that, and the best way to describe my platform is localization, that we are yes, taking yes. government apart from the top down in order to restore power in our communities by dissolving it one layer at a time through a peaceful, orderly, and responsible bankruptcy process. And what I'm proposing with my campaign, and it's, it's true that I'm technically running for president, but it's obviously more accurate when you understand the platform to say that I am turning the federal election into a referendum on whether or not the federal government should be allowed to exist at all. So just to be clear, I'm not a psychopath. You're not. Everybody else is running for president because you really have to be. Uh, I am running to get rid of the office and on day one declare the federal government bankrupt so there's only one thing i would do first with the power of the presidency which is to sign uh, as many pardons as i can or maybe maybe we can get it down to one document get all the good names on the list everybody who is in federal facilities or facing federal charges for victimless crimes especially yes. whistleblowers and uh you know chelsea manning absolutely Julian Assange, Assange, you can't forget Assange. Julian Assange, reality winner. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it's Mm -hmm. it's a shame that we have a a list of political prisoners in in this country still. But 
uh, whistleblowers and anybody for victims' crimes pardoned immediately. That's that's the priority. But Absolutely. then the the only other thing that I do is resign. And we're, I'm actually right now working on the executive order to dissolve the federal government so that it'll be ready by the time the, uh, the libertarian vote happens on Friday. And people know exactly what they're voting for. Adam Kokesh as president is not a possibility. You give me the ring of power, I know what I'm supposed to do with it. Throw it directly into the fire. And if you're not a psychopath, you have to at least be delusional to think that you can wear the ring and not be corrupted by it. Yes. So your question was more about the, you know, the, the party and the strategy. I would not be running if I didn't think this was the best option for the Libertarian Party. I'm not running to sell books. Obviously, my books are free. Um, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm right. running to promote uh, ideas. I'm running to promote myself, of course. But uh, I am proposing this as a serious offer to the Libertarian Party because what I have put together, what this platform represents, my team... Uh, represents uh, for this party is the best shot that we have of having a breakthrough in 2020, if not victory, given the black swan opportunity that we have right now. And it is uh, really critical Mm -hmm. that we offer the American people a meaningful alternative. And I'll I'll just sum it up as this, because like I love Amash. Uh, I love, uh, really, truly love all of the other candidates that that I've, I've dealt with so far in this uh, in this competition, and uh, any of them would be better than you know the options from the old parties. Agreed. But here's what it comes down to: the difference mm-hmm. between the Republicans and Democrats is like the difference between going off a cliff at 70 miles an hour or 80 miles an hour. As libertarians, we are offering a fundamentally new direction for this country to say the system's not sustainable. This is fundamentally wrong. We need a whole new way of looking at government. Let's localize it down to the community level where it's transparent, it's accountable, and customized to meet your needs based on your values. That's what localization means. Absolutely. And if the Libertarian Party nominates anything less than that, what we're saying to the American people is, hey, let's just go off the cliff at 10 miles an hour. And they go, "Mm, no. That's not no. That's not a real option. I'll right. take my flavor of statism. Thank you very much. Now, so I, whatever whatever it is that we do moving forward, I, I believe localization is by far the best way to communicate this. Secession is already polling over twenty five percent nationally. We can capture that vote if we secession. do it right. But regardless, it has to be something that is not just going but, off the so secession. The old parties. Secession, you say? So mm-hmm. do do. do can you explain that a little bit for me? Secession, because when folks think of secession, they think of the, the the last major attempt at seceding from the Union, which happened in eighteen it's the eighteen sixties. What do you mean by secession? Do you mean like disbanding the as the as the uh, as the Constitution says, well, or disbanding the bonds between the government and, and and the people and creating a new government? Or what do you mean by that? Yeah, well, I, first of all, I would I would disagree with your assessment as that being the last major attempt at secession and i would cite for you the example of the cog republic a micronation declared as a tongue-in-cheek secession of the city of key west florida from the united states Mm -hmm. on april 23rd 1982 just after my birthday actually it has been maintained as a tourism booster for the city since then the term cog republic 
has been expanded to refer to all of the Florida Keys or that geographic apportionment of land. That Anyway, the reason they did this, they declared their sovereignty from the United States and declared war on the United States to protest oh, the dear. checkpoint that, that had been set up by the federal government there. Similarly, here at the Garden of Freedom, uh, we, we have declared our sovereignty, and in case you were wondering, I have to pull this up so I get the full title correct here. Um, we are the bountiful, elodial sovereign kingdom of the Garden of Freedom in per- perpetuity. That is the, the full name of, of the sovereign here. In short, you can say the Garden of Freedom or Garden Gardenia. of Freedom. People who live here are known as Gardenians, and on my property, I am known as His Royal Highness King Adam Charles Kokish of Gardenia, the first, the bountiful settler <laughs> of the sovereign kingdom of the Garden of Freedom and first president of the United Nations of Freedom. So just to be clear who you're talking to here, Christian, I want you to know, uh, no, obviously this is, this is tongue-in-cheek, and I'm of a big fan of the, the, the Micronations movement in general <laughs> as a way for people to say, well, look, the, 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 the United States was founded on declaring your independence. Why can't I? Really? You're going to fight me? You're going to fight me over it? And, you know, there's, there's a, a fun super micro example of this in Nevada with uh, Melosia, where there's a guy who just declared his property sovereign and says, well, I'm still going to give, uh, you know, a, a, a amount of money to the county government equivalent to what they're asking for in property taxes. But we're just going to call that foreign aid. And I, I love oh, that. Uh, you know, the, the, the way they did this with the Congress Republic, they actually defeated the federal checkpoint right. that they were that they were objecting to. And it was uh, a, so- a really cool example of, you know, a kind of rhetorical civil disobedience, but it also is a declaration of sovereignty, of your own freedom. So, obviously, these terms have been marred in many ways Mm -hmm. by the experience with the Civil War, which, I mean, we could get into on a whole other level. This is the only country that needed a war to end slavery. It's a national embarrassment. It cost more than it would have to buy and free all the slaves. Oh, Lincoln was a, a horrific racist tyrant, violated no no care for civil liberties whatsoever, said horrifically racist things about black people, and it, it is nothing to be celebrated. So when mm-hmm. you look at that, there, it's, it's, it's a way more complicated issue than has been used to create this, you know, well, if you're not part of the big team, then you're obviously a racist and you, know, you want slavery. And it's like, uh, no, I, I, I want to escape your slavery. I don't want to be a part of your empire anymore. But, as the founders did in declaring their independence, saying, screw you to King George. But of course, so, you would not, you would not never justify the precepts upon which the Confederacy was conceived, right? You would never justify. Of course, yeah, right. no, well... Well, you know, even that, I, and I don't want to play the, all the revisionist stuff here, but even that is, is based on a lot of, you know, historical misconceptions. I mean, even, you know, blaming Japan as the expansive empire for World War II attacking Pearl Harbor ignores the fact that this was something that uh, the United States federal government set up with the oil embargoes and manipulation. There's so much more. When you look, you, you just... I, I, yeah, I don't. I, I'm not endorsing slavery. Obviously, I'm no, asserting the opposite. I am exerting the exact opposite, which is why that is used to smear people who are asking for freedom. Is to say, well, yeah. oh, you must be, you know, a racist or a bad person or some other kind of label lynching associated right. with secession I, or the mm-hmm. Confederacy or, mm-hmm. or anything like that. I, yep. And 
what we're talking about with secession today is the future. It is the natural course of human events. And I would not be fighting for what I'm fighting for if I thought I was fighting some force of nature. But the reality around us shows with the Brexit experience, the Scottish independent vote, the independence movement in Catalonia, in uh, you know parts of Mexico, local uh, townships, cities breaking off saying because of the cartel control of other governments, they don't want to be a part of that. Right. Um, all over the world, in, in the United States, Vermont, New Hampshire, uh, the Conk Republic, the 51st State Project in Northeast Colorado, yeah, so, yeah. um, the Great Republic of Texas, Alaska right. and Hawaii. And if you look at the Native Hawaiian story, it is a tragedy that yeah, needs uh, to be addressed. I, I, I agree. What happened to the Native Hawaiians was, was nothing short of colonialism. It was bad. It was California. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Calexit now, the strongest independence movement I have seen in the country is right. for California so, so, independence. Yeah, just to emphasize, I personally, I think the idea of secession itself is in, quite evidently, quite empirically ingrained into the data, the, the, the data of the United States. It's quite evident that, that the founders themselves were in support of a secession. And thing. so, let's, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that that the, the principle is a bad thing. I'm saying how the principle has manifested in the most visible way possible, i.e., the Civil War, was pretty bad. I think even the Confederacy, even if you, even if folks say Ink Lincoln was bad or he had some draconian policies, which he certainly did, but the Confederacy's precepts, a lot of it was about maintaining the supremacy of the white race. If you look at the Declaration of Independence for all, several states, they literally postulated the, the gospel of white supremacy. So I mean, yeah. how secession, secession itself as a principle is not a problem. How secession well, yeah, has manifested what, throughout it, history it, is the problem, it, which is what... Pro- well, no, 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 even that, even that Christian is giving them too much ground. Because it is by the manipulation of how history is taught in government schools that is that's why you think that. You are not taught that this country was founded on the secession of the colonies. The only term that you or the only historical episode that you associate is deliberately misrepresented. This is just a control of the language mm-hmm. that they use. I mean we could call it independence, we could call it localization, we could call it secession. And and your point is true. But man, for most voters today, when when you talk about secession, I think they're able to see it without the label lynching associated with. Well, every secessionist is a racist now. Oh, and that's that's, that's, that's not true. true. That's not we, true. Obviously, kind of, I think we've kind of overcome that. To, right. To, to, uh, my experience in campaigning, uh, you know, is that when we said abolish the federal government, I, I was hoping there would be, you know, abolition of slavery. There would be a positive association there. Right. But it, it but it's not we're coming accurate. up on time. You know, we, yeah. We're not even abolishing the federal government. We are uh, taking it through a, a peaceful, orderly, responsible bankruptcy. Right. And it's a different process. I, yeah. Abolition is to get rid of. We are, we are localizing elements of the federal government. We are spinning off. We are abolishing most agencies right uh, but in terms of what it represents as a body of resources and institution yeah. we're not abolishing it well and yeah. localization i found is the best way to communicate it yeah absolutely I, 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 I so secession does have that slight negative connotation but even in times when we've used it it's still generally been right positive. right well adam we're coming up on time 30 minutes uh but look 
I do appreciate your viewpoint. I appreciate you, my friend. I appreciate what you have done for the public conversation. And again, secessionists are not, are not inherently racist. We don't we don't believe that. Um, but I mean, there is a lot of things within that sort of realm to consider whenever we have those kind of conversations. So I mean, I just yes, thank you. Yes, thank you so much for coming on, my friend. I've been watching you for a long while, and I hope to watch you for a long while more and uh i wish you the best of fortune with your endeavors in the in for the nomination and in the next few days and beyond that thank you so much brother and i'll just say for everybody who makes this production possible support christian support independent media put your money and your clicks where your eyes and your ears are we don't have the mainstream corporate sponsorship to get this message out against the media that we are competing with. So, Christian, again, thank you for the opportunity. No problem. Thank you to your audience for making what you do possible and for their time and attention. To Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. And for now, folks, just stay pensive.